in the morning when you need the news that matters most. We have a constitutional right to publish this story. We are the fourth estate and we will hold the powerful accountable. You need the front page. Wait, what's the fourth estate? Us, the press. And everyone knows that? On the press box. Because I feel like people always say the fourth estate, but they don't actually know what it means. I think everybody knows what it means. I thought the fourth estate was time. That's the fourth dimension. I thought the fourth estate was Georgia. With Graney and Bischoff. No, not state, a state. You thought I was saying we're the state of Georgia? Deshaun Watson only got a six-game suspension because Judge Sue Robinson thought the NFL was trying to change their own precedent. Uh, this is from uh, her findings, her final report. Judge Robinson concluded that the NFL was trying to change the standards for nonviolent sexual assault without fair notice to the players. She called the proposed change to the rules extraordinary. Um, here, what? Okay. I, I'm still, we've talked about this a little bit yesterday, but basically her logic is that guys that have not committed a violent crime, so you're talking about obviously murder, but like things like domestic abuse, stuff like that, they tend to get the longer suspensions in the NFL. Guys who commit some sort of crime, I guess and technically in this case, he didn't get charged with a crime or didn't get uh, go to court for an actual crime, it's all civil lawsuit, but guys in situations that are non-violent, get less but the part that i don't understand is that there were so many women it's not that he did this to one person like her logic would make sense if there was one incident right if there was one massage right, therapist right. that said this is what he did watson did this right and they decided yep he probably did that or he did do that and the precedent is that hey that's normally like a six game suspension and that's what the nfl normally does but this, like, when she says the proposed change of the rules were extraordinary, what Deshaun Watson did was extraordinary. extraordinary. Like, they've never, I don't, I don't believe the NFL has ever dealt with somebody who has had over 20 women file a civil lawsuit essentially claiming the same thing, that he sexually assaulted them while trying to get well, a massage. That hasn't happened before. It's like I talked, when we talked to David, I didn't know there was precedent here. Like you just said, it's never happened before. So what is she trying to say? Changing, changing precedent. Yeah, there's I, been no it, precedent to this. When did, when has this ever happened? Right. It's it's an unprecedented situation yes. that the NFL found itself in, and I think they were completely justified in suspending him for an entire season. I don't think that's ridiculous at all. But apparently, she thought, well, in the past, when guys have sexually assaulted one person, they get six games. So when it's twenty-seven, you also get six games. It just I don't know. It didn't make a whole lot of sense that that was her reasoning. And then the other part of it, like she focused a lot on the idea of, well, it's a nonviolent crime. Like normally this is what happens with nonviolent. In her report, she's found that Deshaun Watson intended to cause contact with his penis, did, for, did so for sexual purpose, and knew that that contact was unwanted. How is that like, oh, well, it wasn't violent. Yeah. How is that better? Yeah. Like... What? That's that's pretty horrific. And then it happened to like over thirty women. women, right? It's I don't know. To me, the so, I don't understand the logic. I don't understand how she went through, decided. Yeah, Deshaun Watson did all these things. Knows exactly what he did. Knows exactly how many women he did it to. And then decided 
yeah, but like normally you only suspend people for doing this for six games. And it's like normally people don't do it to 30 people, to 30 women. Do you think I they just, appeal? Um, oh, it's a tough one. I mean, the point David Roth brought up was like the public pressure. And that's, that is mounted quite a bit in the last 24, 24 hours. hours yeah, exactly. So, yes, but at the same time, does the NFL care that much? Like, what my main question on this is, like, the NFL asked for a year-long suspension. But do they actually care if he's suspended for a year? Because if you're the NFL, there's no real worry that the NFL is going to lose fans over this. There's nothing, like... The negative consequence is, you know, people yelling on Twitter or uh, Roger Goodell has to answer a question in a press conference, right? Like, there's no real negative consequence other than people talking about it. I don't even know that they care about that right. because the NFL is sort of infallible at the moment. And, yeah, Deshaun Watson's playing in week seven this year isn't going to actually have a negative impact on the league. So I don't know that they really care. No, but if you saw, like you said, if you saw the reaction yesterday, I think they feel they need to because it was, it was obviously really one-sided that this was only six and he didn't even get fined. Press box transition. Good job, Jared. Aaron Donald will play as long as Sean McVay is the head coach of the Rams. Uh, his quote yesterday to NFL.com, if Sean ain't here, I told Sean when we first got here, we came up with some things early, and I first told him, as long as he's the head coach here, I want to continue to build my legacy with him. As long as he's here and I got the ability to still play at a high level, I'm going to be here. When he's gone and it's all said and done, that's probably when I will be hanging it up, too. Wow. Uh, Sean McVay, the most he valuable might, coach yeah, in the he NFL might, now? He might be. <laughs> like, if the best player in the NFL is saying, I'm sticking around until he, until he leaves, right. it's, kind of, it's kind of a little pressure on Sean McVay now. Does McVay right? need to go renegotiate Sean McVay just got married. He's probably, you know what, I'm making all this money. I'll put, I'll go one more year, and then I'll hang it up. You know, We'll go, uh, go on a beach somewhere. And now he's got to stick around because Aaron Donald uh, won't leave until he does. Like, if you're the Rams, and in all seriousness, after this season, Sean McVay was like, you know, I'm probably going to retire. And Aaron Donald was like, well, if he's gone, I'm gone, guys. How much money are you offering McVay? Like, he's he's the highest paid coach in the NFL at that point, right? Yeah. What if they win it again? Yeah. Like, I, man, like, he's got to renegotiate that contract right now. Just sign one-year deals and just always ask for more money every yes. offseason. Like, hey, this Aaron Donald <laughs> okay, guy's going to leave even. if you don't give me the money. Yeah, who cares about me? But if you lose him, you're not going to be any good. Yeah, great question. Yeah, again, great question. Mitch Trubisky is expected to be the starter for the Steelers. They drafted Kenny Pickett in the first round. He's been getting reps with the second team in camp in Pittsburgh. <sighs> he hasn't, um, hasn't looked very good. But, like, what's the point if you're the Steelers and starting Trubisky? Well, because Kenny Pickett hasn't looked He was a first-round pick? <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean... I'm just reading what I read from from the camps, and he is really struggling. So maybe they don't want to throw him to the fire that early because he's just. I mean, if he was, you know, I guess not tearing it up, but holding his own and looking good, I agree with you. And you know, you just start him and you go with him, and this is your guy for the future. But the camp things I've read, um, he his, and again, this is. I, I love when I see stats on a seven on seven and eleven on eleven where they can't hit. I always laugh at that. But apparently he's even bad in those situations. So, <laughs> hey, my I mean, favorite, my favorite seven on seven, like camp report I've ever seen was Christian Hackenberg just completed a pass to me on the sideline. 
<laughs> I was not open. I just, okay, he looks bad, whatever. I just feel like you know what Mitch Trubisky is, and the Steelers are like, a, are like a seven-win team with Mitch Trubisky, right? They're not awful, but they're, they're like a seven-win team with Trubisky. If you put Kenny Pickett in there, they might he might suck, right? And you might be a four-win team, but at least you know Kenny Pickett sucks, and you need another quarterback. Yeah. But if Kenny Pickett's any good, then hey, you've got good Kenny Pickett, and then you've he's got still P- on Kenny Pickett contract. for the future on the quarterback right. on I the just, young quarterback contract. It's like the to me the upside of starting Mitch Trubisky is hey you you went eight and nine. The upside to starting Mitch Trubisky is, hey, this guy is a legitimate quarterback. I just, Can't I don't know. It. To me, it seems it's, or yeah, excuse me, it's way, it's way too risk averse to start Mitch Trubisky with zero actual upside. Whereas Kenny Pickett, yeah, there's a massive risk that he sucks, but. There's a lot more upside there, and I just can't imagine being the Steelers in this position they're in and being like, you know what, we really got to push for that eight and nine record so we can miss the playoffs by a game. Happy to move on to the to the next question here, Aaron. Jacob Degrom will make his season debut today. Going to pitch against the Nationals. Uh, you have been worried about Degrom yes, and Scherzer at the top of the uh, at the top of the rotation. Who's the Who's the best team in the National League right now? I mean, I think I have to see Degrom because I think if Degrom okay. is if Degrom is Degrom, then I think they're the best team in the National League. So when he goes six shutout innings tonight, you'll tell us. Well, can I see him against someone normal? No, no, you get <laughs> you get to see him against the Nationals and whoever they put in the lineup today. I mean, then I'll say Degrom. I'll say the Mets because I assume he's going to be very good against the Nationals. As David told us, there's guys at five o'clock going to be called off the uh, yeah. the banks and and put uniforms on, especially if Soto and Bell go. So. I still think we talked to Tom Krasvick a week ago, maybe ten days ago, and um, knows baseball as well as anyone. And I said, "Should I be worried that the Mets are the best team?" He goes, "Oh no," he goes, "That that's that that's a great point that um, they probably are, especially if Grom, Degrom comes back." So I will say the Mets are at this point. I'm just pessimistic, and I assumed Degrom's going to make about four starts and then be out again. Well, that's has every chance of happening because he's <laughs> like, always, because he's always hurt. Like, that's my general expectation. Yeah, four starts, DeGrom's gone, and oh, look at that. He's not playing anymore, and he's not there for the postseason. Next question. All right. the Maybe one of the least important trades yesterday, but one of the funniest. The Boston Red Sox traded oh, for fantasy co- Fantasy football guy. Uh, are the Reds, do you think there's Red Sox players that are now afraid to join Tommy Pham's fantasy football league? I think they're afraid of Tommy Pham. Yes. <laughs> and forget fantasy football. He's going to walk in the clubhouse and they're going to be like scooting the other way. Can you imagine the guy who has to sit next to him in the, okay. in, in the clubhouse? You don't know Tommy Pham before. You're a Boston Red Sox. You, you haven't really met Tommy Pham before. He gets traded. He, he comes in today, whatever, to the locker room. Are you asking him about the fantasy football league? Oh yes! <sighs> right away, like, hey Tommy, what about that league? Or do I can, can I wait a little while? Uh, within I don't the know first if it's day, you can you can wait like an hour or so. Let him, an you know, hour find find his locker room and get his you know new Boston Red Sox shirt and where they're going to eat or whatever. But like within the first day, are you asking him about the fantasy football league? I probably am, just as a joke, though. Just like you know, kind of jo- kind of joking around with him. I don't, don't want to be serious. Jokes. Can I? Play- I don't think he handles the jokes very well. Can I play it super dumb and just be like, "Yeah, we were thinking about doing a fantasy football league yeah, this year." Exactly. Hey, have you, you ever join? have you ever done that? Have we need a commissioner. That? that that's probably the best way to do it, Jared. Is and and specifically be like, yeah. 
we got to make sure there's a lot of IR spots this year. There just weren't enough in the league <laughs> we played in last season. Like that, that's that's the way you got to do it, and then watch him, you know, still lose his mind over that because apparently Tommy Pham's insane. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into some Golden Knights because Max Pacioretty doesn't think there's enough pressure on the players in Vegas. There's a lot of different uh, permutations that you go through when you're trying to create space. Um, we looked at different options. We, uh, you know, identified this as being the best path to accomplish what we wanted to accomplish, the people that we wanted to retain, uh, you know, to keep Riley, to sign Riley. As I mentioned, uh, you know, the, uh, the raise is due to our young players. Keegan Colesar was the fourth uh, RFA that I failed to, to mention. Uh, so, you know, uh, the need was there, and that was, uh, that was our path to, uh, to get it done. You're listening to the Press Box Summer Edition. All right. Max Pacioretty, no longer a Golden Knight, now a Carolina Hurricane, with some eh, inflammatory, maybe that's too strong of a word, inflammatory con, uh, comments. He was on the Raw Knuckles podcast, thanks to uh, Sinbin.Vegas for transcribing this, by the way. So I'm going to read one of Max Pacioretty's comments to Raw Knuckles podcast. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. When I first got to Vegas, it was weird that there was, like, no accountability. And I'm not talking about in the team. I'm talking about, like, ever. You couldn't feel pressure coming off anyone else, from the coach to the management. There was a relief when I got there, but then I found myself being like, I've got to reel this in and hold myself to a higher standard, which I had always done, but maybe I got away from it when I had everyone else holding me accountable in Montreal. He continued, I mentioned that at the end of the year that no one is really holding us accountable. If we have a bad year like this, the city would be, in, would be half on fire in Montreal and here in Vegas, it's 80 degrees and it's sunny and we're getting our car washed and getting our organic food and going to play golf. I was kind of like, we got to police this thing a little bit better amongst each other. I don't want to say it was a country club, but you have no one from the outside holding you accountable. Ed, is Max Pacioretty calling the fan base in Vegas soft? I think he's calling the fan base soft. I think he's calling the media soft. Um and again, so here's the thing about this. I every time this happens, uh, I wish because we did have an exit interview with him, and I wish some of this would be had been said then and not after he was traded. But that doesn't mean a lot of what he said isn't true either. You can't go back and say, well, just because he didn't say it to the media then, he's just you know he's throwing out excuses and he's being a you know bad guy now um, and ripping everybody. But I'll ask you this because. You know, before last year, they won a lot. So I'm not sure what he was looking for in terms of being held accountable. They won all the time. They went to the playoffs. They went to a cup final. I don't know what he was looking for in that sense. And yet I'll say, and I'll, you know, I'll put myself at, at the front here. I have no problem with that. I do think the media is soft on them in this town, uh, especially this past year. And I'm saying a lot of media, uh, and I, I'm involved in that. So... Well, I agree with some of the stuff he said. I wish it would have been said sooner, but, you know, again, he's saying it now, and I think you have to judge him for what he's saying. And, yeah, I think there is some sense of 80 degrees and playing golf, and this isn't Philly, and this certainly isn't Montreal with hockey. Um, but I'll, I'll say what he's saying. There, there's some veracity to it, of course. All right, so I got a, I got a couple of thoughts, but my first question here is, 
when Max Pacioretty was in Montreal and they had a bad season, a failed season like Vegas did, did he sit in his house and like sulk the entire offseason? Because he he called out himself and his teammates in Vegas for like eating organic food, getting their car washed and playing golf. Right. Like if if you lose in the offseason, are you just supposed to sulk in your house the entire offseason? Like that part seemed like a kind of a cheap shot. Like if you yeah, okay. You had a failed season. You had a bad season. That doesn't mean you have to spend the next four months like just mad 24-7. You're allowed to go play golf. You're allowed to get your car washed. I, like, I just found that a little bit odd. I believe he's right that the media and the fan base is, relatively speaking, soft, right? If you compare it to other markets, well, other and cities. it's. Comparing to Montreal's might not even be fair because Montreal and, and he, I remember when um, we went to Montreal. I think it was, it was the trip where Gallant got fired, right? Because they went Ottawa and then Montreal. So we were all in so. Montreal, and you should have seen his reaction when the Montreal media walked in, and you could tell, <laughs> especially as the captain, right? Especially as the captain, yeah. he was. I mean, you could tell his answers. We stood around and listened to his answers, and I could tell, boy. This guy did not have a good relationship with these guys. And even now that he's on the Golden Knights, he still remembered everything they either wrote or said or, or whatever. So I don't even want to compare. I, I'm with you on the media in this town. And again, I'm hey, I'm right there. I have no problem right. saying that. Um, but I don't even know if you can compare it to Montreal. Maybe some cities in, in, in the States? Because I think Montreal is probably at a completely yeah. different level when it comes to this stuff. I mean, and- we... We literally have media members that like sit down next to the players while they're taking their pads off. Like that's how embarrassingly close we are. As like, that's just a, that's not how you're supposed to be. Yeah, you can sit down next to them, get the recorder in their face easier. My other main question for Max Pacioretty: He complained effectively when he came to Vegas about how much pressure he was under in. Montreal, Mm -hmm. being the captain of the Canadians, and he even said in here that he felt relief when he came here. So he didn't like it when he was under a lot of pressure from the fans and the media in Montreal. And then he plays a few years in Vegas, and he also doesn't like it when there's not enough pressure from the fans and media. What does Max Pacioretty like? Like that seems like you're like there's a very specific amount of pressure that he can perform under, and that seems like your high maintenance. Like I. I don't think you're allowed to complain about both. I don't think you're allowed to say, oh, there's too much pressure here and there's not enough pressure here. Like, I feel like that's a you problem at that point. And the other main point here is the last team, the last two teams that have won the Stanley Cup are Tampa Bay and Colorado. Is Denver and Tampa Bay, are either of those cities known for having a tough media market, for having a tough fan base? No, no, like, neither, ni- neither of them are, especially, especially Colorado. Yeah, like two the two most successful teams over the last couple of seasons aren't doing it because the media or the fan base is just crushing the players right. and the coaches every chance they get. So this idea that like, oh, we didn't perform because there wasn't enough external pressure on us, that's ridiculous. Like you don't you shouldn't need that and you don't need that to win in the NHL or in any of these sports. Like I just think does Max is Max Pacioretty right in that the sort of media and fan base are soft compared to Montreal and some other markets? Well, of in course, the NHL? of course, he yes, is. he's not factually wrong. I just don't think it matters that much. I just don't think it should be a big deal. I don't think it, that that's going to be a determining and factor in how he plays or how the team plays. I guess what did he want those first two or three years? 
I think he's right about the softness of, of, of both angles in terms of the in terms of the fans and the media, but and I was part of that, and you were part of that. They went to the Stanley Cup final their first year. What were you going to say and write? It's like they're the greatest expansion team ever. So sorry, Max, that people weren't ripping you every day for going to the Stanley Cup final and then for going to two, what was it, Tyler, two or three Western Conference finals they've been in. Three, three and four three, years. Yeah, three and four years. I mean, yeah, there's some softness around here, but what was it supposed to be? Right. I right. Mean, there's very little failure that this organization like but obviously this past season was was yeah, pretty atrocious exactly. like that's the worst season they've had but like the, the only other bad thing that's happened like they lost to the sharks in the first round and blew a 3-1 series like yes i think the the media whatever should have been harder on them for blowing a 3-1 series lead against the sharks but like that's about as bad as it's been before this past season. It's not like you're, you're not jumping on there and demanding people be fired and traded because you lost a three. Like, it just, I don't know. It's it's a very strange thing that he's come up. But there is one other thing that I am curious about from sort of the media and fan base side of this because uh, Ken Bolt, he was going to join us later in the show. He mentioned this in his story about maybe the media softness, the fan base softness. Do, how much does it matter? that the Golden Knights have multiple uh, media members that are employed by the team, that are on the TV broadcast, that are on the radio broadcast. Like, let, let me let me phrase it this way. How many fans, how many people know that Gary Lawless, Dave Gosher, Shane Knighty, Dan Duva, and our favorite around here, Darren Millard, are all employees of the team? Oh, I don't I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know if fans even get to that level of of depth where they would know who's paying their paychecks. I mean, maybe some do, but I don't know if you sit at home saying, well, he's being a homer because he's getting paid by the team. I don't, I don't know if they think that way to tell you the truth. What do you think about fans? Do they really get that deep on stuff or do they just, because they're fans, they're, you know, look, they're with these guys mostly because a lot of the stuff is positive. And again, I have to preface this. This is me as well. This is, you know, this is everyone in town. I'm not saying it's just them, but, um, if, I, if I'm a fan and I see that they're overly positive, I don't know if I'm thinking it's because who signs their checks. Yeah, well, so I don't know. If I, even, I don't even know if I, is it? See, yeah, but you're in the media. I, I think it's right. just fans exactly. at home would be like, I don't know anything about that. I just like that they're positive because I love the team. Exactly, and mm. I, I don't think the majority of fans know that those guys are being paid by the team, and therefore, like. Gary Lawless is never going to say anything critical about the Golden Knights. It's like he might criticize a player like if he makes a bad play on the broadcast because obviously they're showing a replay and a guy tripped or something. Like, yeah, don't do that. But he's never going to criticize the front office for a roster move. He's never going to criticize the coach for a decision to play a certain goalie or a certain line change. Like, it's just not going to happen. Part of the reason that I yell at Darren Millard when he comes on with us is because Darren Millard also is never going to actually criticize the Golden Knights because that's their employer. They're not going to go out and say, oh, I think this trade was a bad idea. That's why I yell at Darren Millard a lot because, hey, he's not going to say that something was bad. And I don't know how many fans realize that. And I think part I think part of the issue, as as a whole, the Las Vegas media, we were, we were behind when it came to covering the Golden Knights, right? We were not, like, on top of it from the start. It's, it's taken a process. And so the Golden Knights, when they came in, the people they have in the media are, are significant people. Like Gary Lawless is listened to by a lot of Golden Knights fans. A lot of these guys that are employed are considered some of the higher top level media members that cover the Golden Knights. Whereas 
like my favorite teams, I don't feel like it's like that. I don't feel like the people like the sideline reporter for the Houston Astros is not a main media member that covers the Golden Knights. But here, that's that's kind of what happens. Gary Lawless becomes one of the main people that covers this team that people get information from. And I think because it's a new team, that has a that has helped them a lot in terms of controlling the media narrative. And I think that's hurt sort of the fan base because if it was independent media that were the the main people, and it there are people that that absolutely are main people that cover the Golden Knights that are independent, but there's too much team employee that it waters it down for the fan base. And it's well, like, oh, they're they're not being negative all the time, so we shouldn't be negative. I don't know the answer to this. I assume it's it's more than the Golden Knights, but I wonder, I'd love to know how many teams where this is the case. Where the yeah. I, I don't know that. I have no idea. Maybe it's all the teams. I, I have no idea if the if the um uh in between in between period guys and, and, and the play by play guys and this and you know the the um uh guys down at the you know the ice reporting, are they all are they all uh, employees of teams? I, mean, I can't answer I, that. I think a lot of teams have a uh, you know, team reporter, right? Employed by the team. That's a well, that does member. the the website and yeah, right. the Raiders like, have one of those. Like, right. Yes. Take the take the Raiders for example. Yes, they have one. Yes. But what are the what also happened with the Raiders? You have Vic Tafer, who's been covering the team for years. You have Paul Gutierrez, who's been covering the team for years. You have multiple outlets that have been covering the Raiders and multiple individual reporters that have been covering the Raiders for years. So when the Raiders have an in-house media member that's employed by the team, mm -hmm. they're not making the same impact. Whereas with the Golden Knights, they didn't exist. So there wasn't, the Review Journal didn't have somebody covering the Golden Knights, or honestly, hockey, for years. Neither did the Sun. Neither did, you know, TV stations here. Neither did the radio, like us, right? So when it first started, everybody was kind of on the same playing field. And, oh, who's this Gary Lawless guy? Oh, he, he seems to know what he's talking about. Right. We'll listen to him. Oh, he's not going to say anything bad about him because he's employed by the team. But... He started on the equal playing field. So I think that made a big difference in it being a brand new team that the media, like we know who, like I assume fans know who Vic Tafer is, know who Paul Gutierrez is that are fans of the Raiders. There, there wasn't that previous relationship with the Golden Knights. So it doesn't, doesn't make quite the impact yeah. when, uh, you know, the Raiders guy, the Raiders team employee says something. So right. I think that has a, I think that does has a big impact, but I'll go back to my main point. I know we need to go to break. None of it should matter. None of that should actually be a reason why the Golden Knights are bad or why the Golden Knights no, are good. No, it's because oh, we're not. There's not as much pressure. Montreal's burning because we missed the playoffs in Vegas. Oh, we're playing golf. None of that should matter. All right, coming up next, we'll jump back into the NFL. Deshaun has told you guys in a press conference. He's told uh, me privately. He wants to be the best version of himself. I believe that wholeheartedly. He's working on that and I'll let Deshaun at some point uh, speak for himself. Back to the Press Box Summer Edition. No Charles McDonald today. He'll join us uh, a little bit later in the week. We do have some more tickets to give away coming up soon. we got a comedy show, Chico Bean. Also, a four-pack of tickets to go to Las Vegas Ballpark for movie nights uh, coming up this month. Uh, but I do want to read a couple of tweets from Jordan Goodrich, who says... I don't know how people don't know who is employed by the team and who isn't. Assuming fans don't is an assumption of complete incompetence. Okay, never mind. I get your point. And I, I do think this is sort of a key difference for, in pretty much every fan base. 
the people who like listen to this radio show or seek out other podcasts that are about the Golden Knights or whoever their favorite team is, and people that are like on Twitter that are following beat writers and actively engaged in Twitter on a daily or whatever, weekly basis, whatever it is, I think those people absolutely know who is employed by the team and who isn't because they're engaged in it every day. But that's not a majority who go to games. Right. And I think that's sort of the difference. And, and, and this is the Golden Knights and this is, you know, every fan base, right? People that go to games, the, the overall fan base, most people are not engaging in it every day. And that's Twitter, where I, no. right. No. And that's where I think there's a difference where the, the people, again, people listening to this show that are Golden Knights fan, I bet most of them do know that Gary Lawless, that Darren Millard are employees of the Golden Knights, but most Golden Knights fans aren't listening to sports talk radio in the morning because it's just that's not the main thing they care about in their lives. They care about the Golden Knights and other things. Right. So I, I do think that, like, yeah, Jordan Goodrich on Twitter, absolutely. Like, you, you follow me on Twitter. We talk about the Golden Knights. You tweet about the Golden Knights. Yeah, absolutely. But I think there's a giant portion of the fan base that is not on Twitter all the time. That is not actively. Well, you can see with... if you follow it at all, you see it's mostly the same people. Right. Yes. There's. It's yes. mostly the same people who engage with beat writers and and talk about the Golden Knights, and that is a small percentage. I'm sorry, of eighteen thousand people who go to games. Right. And so I think that's that's sort of a big difference. And I I love that Jordan knows who's employed by the team. I think that situation. Uh, that Max Petrie is talking about would be different if every single fan knew who was employed by the team. Because here's I during the break, I thought of a great example. Do you guys remember when Brandon Peary was like, he scored like eight goals in 10 games mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. like that. Yep. And it was like, everybody was like, all right, this guy's not going to stop scoring. Yep. He better stay with the team. But the Golden Knights, I can't remember the exact reasoning, but they sent him back to the AHL. Yes. Somebody was coming back from it. Do you remember that? They had to have press conferences yep. and, about... Well, and, and, and reports about why Brandon Peary was here, sent back. Well, here's He's exactly not very what good. the Golden Knights did. The Golden Knights, because it was, you know, unpopular because the guy was scoring goals, and that's, you know, kind of important. What the Golden Knights did is they had Gary Lawless, their team employee, do like a five-minute video with Kelly McCrimmon to be like, how do we explain sending Brandon Peary down to the AHL? And that's a perfect example of sort of team-controlled media being a main part of the story because nobody else had an interview with Kelly McCrimmon that day about Brandon Peary being sent down. The Golden Knights had it, like, pre-planned, right? As soon as they announced it, that video was out. So that was your access to Kelly McCrimmon was through a team employee. And so every question and everything about it was how, hey, this is all okay. This is the right move. This is the right decision. That's exactly how a team uses its team media to get that message out to where people are less critical because, and not that you should have necessarily been critical of Brandon Peary being sent down, whatever. It wasn't that big of a deal, but that's how the Golden Knights use it. That's how the Golden Knights view it is, hey, we've got Gary Lawless. We did something that might be controversial. How do we get him to control the narrative? We can give him access to Kelly McCrimmon, and a lot of people don't realize he's not a team employee. So here it is. Here's yeah. him explaining. He Plus, he's on the TV broadcast, which is how most people connect with the team. Oh yeah, I mean they they connect with the people we've talked about all morning, and that's fine. That's fine. That that those are the guys they put out there. Um, I like all those guys. I think they're good guys. But your point is well taken in terms of how the narrative is is presented to the public. Um, and there's Jordan had another tweet here. I'm fully aware who is employed by the team. That's good. 
and fully aware of who is a fan of opposing teams. Like Ed's King fandom, which I assume the Kings he's talking about, agree or not, leads into how he talks about the Knights. Tyler, do you remember when we made that whole joke and I I got Ed a Kings hat because he was rooting for them to make the final playoff spot? Well, he had that, yeah, he had that whole, like, random prediction in the middle of the yes, season. Yes, middle of the season, yeah. He was, was going to make the playoffs. He just picked a random team, and it wound up being the Kings, so we made a bit out of it. And apparently people thought that that was Ed revealing his true colors. Yes. That, and that, that's fine. I mean, hey, I like that Jordan listens so carefully, you know, yeah. and that, that he is aware of who the people are that are employed, and that he's, you know, good for him that he's such a Knights fan. I, I I'm on board with Tyler here. I think a lot of what Max Petri said is tr- Pacioretty said is true. I'll go back to my original uh, point. I wish he would have said some of this at his exit interview with the media. Um, that would have been interesting to say it then, uh, but he says it now when he's gone on a podcast. Which again, that's fine. That's how he chose to handle it. But you pointed out a few discrepancies in the in in the um, in the comments that don't make much sense because. You want it one way, and you, you want it both right. ways, and that, that's not possible. Which way do right. you want it? Right. He didn't like the criticism in Montreal, and then he got here and was like, well, there's not enough criticism. So there's, like, maybe two markets in the entire uh, NHL that he can play at that has just the right of pressure for Max Pacioretty. Uh, to quickly change topics, Ed, I have two tweets to read for you. Uh, the From Bob Nightingale, the Padres are getting close to I landing one Soto from the Nationals. The deal is not yet finalized. I saw it. Also from John Morosi, Nationals are in the process of calling up multiple minor leaguers, a sign that trades are imminent. They're going to get him. They're going to get him. <laughs> I know they're going to get him. I will I will have to change my mind, I think, right now, based on those two tweets. Juan Soto is going to get traded. To the Padres. Yeah, he's going to get traded. I uh, Oh, this is going to be good, Ed. This I can't wait. It's phenomenal. They're gonna throw in Bell, like they throw him in. Yeah, like they threw in Trey Turner. Just toss him in, man. You are gonna have to deal with Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis in San Diego for a decade. I don't know if the Padres will pay him. I don't, don't know if so? they'll pay him. I think I, I saw a tweet from um, uh, it might have been Bob Nightingale this morning where they give up a bunch of prospects. And then they recoup them by by moving him before his contract runs oh, out. Which that was makes that was my sense. theory on the Rays because somebody mentioned the Rays is interested in Soto, and I was like, I guess, but they would definitely trade him before. Yeah, his they're not giving him expired. fifteen years, five hundred million dollars, and I don't know if the Padres are either. Although they paid Tatis a ton. What was that? Three, three plus. Yeah, uh, three hundred so, okay. plus. Here's the interesting part on that though. The Padres are going to be contenders for the the entirety of Soto's con- of his was sure. two and a half years left, which is two and a so half, right? Would they really trade him either in season or right before a season in which they're expecting to win the, yeah. the World Series? Because that's like I'll use the Astros as an example, right? The Astros in recent years they've had Garrett Cole walk in free agency, George Springer walk in free agency, Carlos Correa walk in free agency. If the Astros had been bad at any point, they would have traded those. They would guys have moved the those guys. Well, maybe the Padres prospects. just let them walk. Right, and that's my thing. Is like the Astros have let all those guys walk because they've been close to winning the World Series, and it was like, well, you're not trading those guys when you can right. win the World Series. So my thought is like, may, maybe they would do it in an off season where they have time to sort of go in and get whoever in the off season to replace him. But I would like, if you're the Padres and you're like, you know, let's say in two and a half years, 
whatever. You're like two games behind the Dodgers in the NL West at the trade deadline, and Soto's going to be a free agent, and you're not going to sign him. You got to keep him and just let and him just walk. let him walk. Like, sure, right? Like you just can't do that. Yeah. Now, if they were to fall out of it one year, maybe then you trade him. But yeah, that would be. I'm excited. Let's go nine. Why would, why would they? Nine, why would they fall out of it? They're, they're the best team in baseball. 9.51, Ed. That's when they're going to make the move. We'll get about five minutes of you probably running away from the microphone and then tomorrow a full show on how the Padres are unstoppable as the best team in baseball. I'm it's going to be great. I'm just not. Here's another. Here's a, for, for Soto and Tatis in the same lineup is euphoric stuff if you truly love baseball. My good friend Ryan <laughs> Green. Thanks, Ryan. Oh, my goodness. Oh, it's my great. goodness. It's great. I can't wait. This, this is just this is phenomenal. Okay, all right, it's going to happen. I, I I I'm just going to accept it. It's going to You're happen. not you're not coming in with the Dodgers. I I'm defeated right now. I'm defeated. Oh, here we go. John Morosi. Padres and Nationals have agreed in principle on a what? Juan Soto trade with Josh Bell going to San Diego. <sighs> Nats are set to receive CJ Abrams, Robert Hassel, James Wood, Jarlin Susana. So they've already got the the prospects. That's the Padres' number one, three, and fourteen prospects going to San Diego. Okay, then I don't think the Dodgers pushed hard. All right, one, yeah, three. All right, okay. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll both yell probably about the same thing because that does not seem like a lot. But first, we got tickets to give away. Two tickets to go see Chico Bean Saturday night, August sixth at the Mirage Theater. Uh, got to be sixteen and over. By the way, ten o'clock show. You can get tickets at Ticketmaster.com or win a pair from us right now. It's Chico Bean Saturday, August sixth at the Mirage. You want to go see a comedy show? This is where you need to be. Seven zero two three six four eleven hundred. Chico Bean. We'll take caller number five at seven zero two three six four eleven hundred. Obviously, I know with this decision that there's a, a lot of questions that everybody has, and I think in, in due time, Deshaun certainly will will address those questions, but I think where we are in the process, uh, that will happen. Honestly, it's none of my business. Um, I don't play against the other quarterback. I know it's the most cliche thing to say, but that's just the truth. Uh, when it comes down to it, I'm game planning against their defense. Um, and if I'm playing or not, I'm trying to help this team win. And that's my mindset going into it, so I got to keep getting better. But I'm not focused about week one right now. Um, you know, working, working on each day, each install, and continuing to get better. All of the sun, none of the fun on the Press Box Summer Edition. Juan Soto is reportedly going to the San Diego Padres along with Josh Bell. So the Padres pulling off the biggest deal of the trade deadline. The Nationals in return are effectively getting four prospects. Um, according to MLB's prospect rankings, uh, who's fighting with the microphone? Well, who do you think? <laughs> Not Jared. <laughs> according to uh, Major League Baseball's prospect rankings, the Padres are sending their number one, their number three, and their number uh, 14 prospects over to the Nationals. Plus, they're sending C.J. Abrams, who... Uh, has been with the Padres this year, but is like 21 years old and hasn't played very well. Still probably considered a prospect overall. So effectively four prospects all inside their top 15. Um, I'm stunned that the price is that low. I am too. And I'm, I'm wondering, I'm wondering what kind of push the Dodgers made because the one report we saw was Lux and the one, two, five, and like 15. 
um, which would have been a better deal, by the way. So I don't even know if that was on the table. Um, <laughs> I mean, you'd agree with that. If you threw in Lux and, and you know, three or four of your top 15, that's a better deal than what they got from the Padres. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I am seeing uh, Jeff Passan just tweeted, Mackenzie Gore is included in this. Mackenzie Gore is a 23-year-old pitcher who's been with the Padres this year, but has a 4.5 ERA. So a, similar to C.J. Abrams, a guy who's been in the big leagues this year, hasn't exactly played well, but you could kind of consider a high-end prospect overall. So they're effectively getting five prospects, a couple with major league experience, but five prospects for Juan Soto. They did not get a single proven major leaguer now maybe they didn't want that because they don't plan on being good in the next couple of years anyways but five prospects i am for josh bell to be included in that trade as well that that seems like the national what what the hell are the nationals doing yeah i don't know I, i i and now doesn't it make you wonder who was really in on him right i mean who really put major offers on the table for him passing reporter last night it was the dodgers and the padres um, and I believe what he reports. I think he's as insider as it gets, but I'd love, we're never going to know unless they come out and say it and they're not going to say it. I'd love to know what, if the Dodgers were on what they offered, they have a better farm system than the Padres. So Man. they just do. Um, like I, I'd love yeah, to know what I, they offered. I I'm like the Astros have a terrible farm system, but even I'm like, well, just send them the top five prospects yeah. and take one yeah. Soto and Josh Bell. Like, I bet that'd be way better. The fact that there were no proven major leaguers involved, that that really jumps out to me is like, a, you're right, who else was actually involved in this and how high was the price? The other part that I'm curious about, is it possible that like Juan Soto told the Nationals and other teams, I'm not going to sign an extension? and Because that would have driven the price down, right? Because you're only getting two and a half years of Juan Soto instead of, oh, we're signing him to a Well, look what he turned down. Right. So I could see so him I, saying, I'm going to free agency. Right. Because because if, you, if you're the Nationals and you're trading him, or uh, let me do it from there. If you're like the Padres and you're trading for Soto, and you know that you're getting him on a 10-year extension, right? You're getting a decade of Juan Soto. You're okay with giving up more because you're getting sure. 10 years of Juan Soto. So I do wonder if it, if there was any any conversation there that Juan Soto said, I don't want to sign an extension. I want to enter free agency in two and a half years. I wonder if that had any impact because that that would make it a little that would make a little bit more sense to me, right? If that happened, because then you're not going to get as much for Juan Soto because teams are only getting him for two and a half years, not ten. But like like the Yankees gave up four prospects and they got Frankie Montas and Lou Trevino. Right. They gave, I mean, the Padres gave up more, but it's not significantly it's not, more. Than they what didn't the give up. A, they didn't up. give up a lot more. Than right, the Yankees like, did. That's the team. If you're the Yankees today, are you sitting back saying, "Hold up, we did what for Frankie Montas when we could have gotten Juan Soto for that?" Well, maybe his through his representatives, he says he's going to walk no matter what. You yeah, know, and he's and believe me, at 23 years old, and it's 25 when he when he hits it. I mean, given what he's going to make, I think that's maybe smart on his terms. Yeah, he's going. He's going to see what the he's going to see what the market bears. And two years from now, if he continues to improve and be as good as everyone says he's going to be, you know, God knows what he's going to make in terms of what someone can offer him. And at that point, it's only going to be a few teams involved anyway. I mean, it's just going to be a bidding war between what two or three teams. I again, I don't know if the Padres with Tatis Tatis money. I'm not sure on the Machado contract, but even the Tatis Tatis money, are they able to then sign Soto? I mean, 
I, I mean, you technically, know, their owners are willing to, to whoever you want, right? But their owners are—they are willing to spend more than the past owners. But we're talking fifty million a year. Yeah. So Machado is signed through twenty twenty eight. Oh wow! Uh, at thirty two million dollars a year, and Tatis Mach- is over thirty. Yeah, Machado can opt out after the twenty twenty four season, but that's a that's a player opt out, not a team opt out. So. Machado through 2028 at 32 million. We'll see what uh, we'll see what happens with Juan Soto. I don't know if they'll end up paying him or not. But they also have Fernando Tatis locked up because his contract was 14 years, mm-hmm. so he's through 2034, and he is making well, not yet, but he will be making as much as 36 million dollars by the end of that contract per year. So that is a ton of money already committed, and the if two players. Up- yeah, and if they lock up Soto, that is three guys making. We're going to be talking 120 right. million dollars right. or more. That's insane to think about. It's how much the A's pay for ten years. 